0: Well, howdy, y'all, and welcome to another edition of The Daily Grind. I'm your host, John Spencer, and joining me this week is my bestest friend, Maritza. Hey! Yeah, so join us as we help you brew your brain and sharpen your wit with some historical events, rundown on today's date, and just some random stuff to get your brain gears going. So we're glad you're with us. and I'm glad to be back. Yeah. It's good to have you back. <laughs> All right, yeah. We'll cut that out. I'll get rid of that pause. <clears throat> and now it's that time on the daily grind to it's Tuesday, August 8th. And on this date, In 1876, Thomas Edison received a patent for his mimeograph machine. Mimeograph? What is that? Mimeograph. So if you were old like me, before there were Xerox and copiers, there used to be this big drum of stuff that had this amazing ink that would get you so high when you were a kid. Um, (laughs) And the paper smelled like it forever, but it would do like blue ink. And it was like the first kind of copier, autographic printing. Yeah. And in 1908, Wilbur Wright made his first public flight oh, oh, on a wow. race course in Le Mans, France. And in 1963, on August 8th, in England, a gang of 15 train robbers stole 2.6 million banknotes in the Great Train Robbery. Mm. Yeah, there's a documentary about that. On uh, They all got caught, too. <laughs> Um, And it was on this date in 1969 that at a zebra crossing in London, a photographer took a picture of the Beatles walking across the street at Abbey Road. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Conic picture of those Mm -hmm. guys. Also on this date in 1975, Hank Williams Jr. fell off a mountain in Montana and had to have uh, facial reconstructive surgery. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And on this date in 1989, STS-28 mission Space Shuttle Columbia took off on a secret five-day military mission. And it landed at Edwards Air Force Base, California on August 13th. That's all we know. Mm -hmm. Super secret. August 8th is CBD day. Like CBD? Like CBD, yeah. Charlie Bravo Delta, like the oil. (laughs) yeah <laughs> it's dollar day it's frozen custard day i i like frozen custard i don't know if i like frozen custard have i had frozen custard yeah we didn't we go one time to work on camp Bowie to that little custard place it's no, like soft ice cream but it's got a little more oh we'll have to go Almost. yeah sorry it's <laughs> happiness happens day and it's Wear your mother's jewelry day I have some jewelry for my mom. I got to be thinking about what of my moms I'm going to wear on August 8th. Just don't tell my mom because that means I haven't given it back to her yet. No, that's true too. (laughs) And and now it's that time on the daily grind to sharpen your wit. I think it's funny how we call it banana bread just to disguise the fact that we're eating cake for breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. onophobia is the fear of being tickled by feathers rhymes with purple you know i'm in my mind going purple i know i know what you're doing right and it's funny it's the colors there's not a word that rhymes with silver or orange or toilet so um silver silver yeah there's not a word that rhymes with silver either oh wow i know i don't know if i'm getting older or that guy on the quaker oats box is getting younger but he looks younger (laughs) than he used to be to me do you know what a neuralizer is, Maritza? Uh, like the one in Men in Black? Oh, you're just so good. <laughs> yes, it's the flashy thingy that mm-hmm. makes people forget things. I What'd think Marcy has one of those <laughs> <laughs> and uses it on me at times. So I'm going, <laughs> I don't remember saying that. Do you know what 1960s novelty item is used for cyber encryption? 1960s novelty cyber mm-hmm. enc- I have no idea. Okay. I didn't either until I looked this up. Randomness is important for encryption, and sometimes computers are not good at coming up with truly random data sets. And so Cloudflare, a company that secures a significant amount of international web traffic, uses a wall full of lava lamps to generate data that has no discernible pattern. Really? Really, yeah. Huh. I just think that would be a cool office to work in. Yeah, would. Can you imagine the but wall? That'd be cool. A wall, wall of lava lamps, I know. Dogs cannot operate MRI scanners, but CAT scan... <laughs> i was thinking lately i mean i'm not really planning on leaving but i was thinking if i were to have a second career inspecting mirrors is a job i could really see myself doing <laughs> oh man that's a reflection of who you are huh
1: oh my gosh yes yes <laughs>
0: Ah, that's so good. And now it's that time on the daily grind to enrich your faith. Today we're looking at Colossians two, six through fifteen. But let's do a quick rewind just to get everybody on the same page. In the previous section, Colossians one fifteen through twenty three we were treated to a mesmerizing exploration of the greatness of Jesus and the mind-blowing depths of his salvation. But hold on to your hats, because this leg of this letter shifts focus back to our main man, Paul, and the Colossians, honing in on their role in experiencing the incredible redemption that God offers. But we're about to switch gears again and zoom right back to the star of the show, our King, Jesus let me tell you, Paul practically burst at the seams in wonder at the mention of Jesus. Seriously, his heart is laid bare, and he unpacks the central themes of verses 9 and 10, echoing some of his previous statements about the unmatched greatness of Jesus. It's just kind of like a musical refrain that just keeps resounding in his heart. But don't think for a second that Paul has forgotten about the Colossians. Not a chance. In fact, he's encouraging them to step up their game and to keep growing. This growth is all about being rooted in Jesus and building upon that foundation, utilizing all the wisdom and the insights that he's already shared with them. Now, let's talk about the tension that's really as old as time that dance between faith and works. We're well aware our salvation is a gift, it's given by grace. Through faith, but hold up because it's not just a one way street. Jesus said we're also supposed to be known for our good deeds, for being the salt and light of the world. And guess what? This isn't a new dilemma. It's a theme that echoes throughout a lot of Paul's letters. In fact, he often just lays down the theology up front and then follows it up with practical tips for holy living. In this passage, Paul serves up a new analogy, a tree. The Colossians are firmly rooted, which means they're grounded in their faith. But here's the twist. Paul tells them to keep walking in Jesus. It's like a tree that starts with a tiny seed of God's grace. As it grows, it bears fruit. Without roots, it's lifeless and fruitless. But once these roots take hold, fruit is inevitable. As believers, our faith grows and deepens with trust, obedience, and faith. Those are all intertwined. The more we obey, the more we trust. The more we trust, the more we obey, and all that is done through faith. But what's the secret to walking in Jesus? Well, Paul tells us. It's all about receiving King Jesus as Lord, There's no distinction between knowing Jesus as Savior and knowing him as Lord. He's both or he's neither. And how do we receive King Jesus the Lord? It's simple. Recognize your need. You turn to God for grace, repent of your sins, trust in his forgiveness. And then you kind of keep recognizing your need. Keep coming to God and keep relying on him and his power and his grace. And walk in faith. And here's a little nugget that's too significant to overlook gratitude. After receiving the monumental gift of salvation, I know a simple thank you feels almost inadequate, but believe it or not, God delights in our gratitude. It is a high calling that He bestows upon us. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit to verse 8. Paul is gonna give some real practical wisdom for the Colossians. He warns them not to be taken captive by hollow philosophies or the traditions of men. It's like an alarm bell, urging them to stay alert and not let the world's empty distractions pull them away from the truth. It's a gentle nudge to stay grounded in Jesus, no matter the distractions. Now let's revisit a concept that Paul's been touching on, Christ's greatness. In this verse, he beautifully highlights how Christ's supreme position mirrors what we discussed in chapters 1, verses 15 to 18. It's like a seamless transition from one awe-inspiring truth to another, showing us just how powerful Jesus truly is. But amidst all this wonder, there's an underlying caution. The see to it implies vigilance. Without standing guard, believers can easily be ensnared by world philosophies, deceptive traditions, and the elementary principles. It's a reminder that we can fall captive to both spiritual powers and to cultural norms. I mean, are we American Christ followers? Or are we Christ followers who live in America? Are our actions, our worship, our treatment of others? driven by cultural norms, or biblical mandates given to us from Jesus. And here's a truth that echoes from the Old Testament. God calls his people to turn away from the allure of other gods, not to prostitute themselves with Baals. It's a call to choose life over death, fulfillment over emptiness. The question for us today is, what are we chasing after in addition to Jesus? What are we convinced that we need for a complete life? I mean, the answer is simple. Jesus alone. He's the source of all we need, the embodiment of God's fullness. Now, going back to look at verse 11, Paul lays out a couple of significant rituals of faith, circumcision and baptism. Circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with Israel, an external mark representing internal commitment in the same way baptism signifies our identification with Christ as his people it's a visual declaration that we're part of God's covenant community a reminder of his grace and it's a reenactment of Christ's death and resurrection but I think there's a little more to unpack here through Christ we've experienced a transformation akin to the removal of the fleshly nature that goes against the Spirit. It's like God stripping away the old, self-centered way of living. And you can look at Paul's struggle against sin in Romans 7, but it ends with something beautiful, that victory is certain because of Christ's work on the cross. And so here's where the rubber meets the road. Our victory over sin and guilt happens because Christ's sacrifice. Those decrees against us, the debt we owe due to disobedience, were nailed to the cross with Christ. His righteousness becomes our own. And guilt is replaced by forgiveness and membership in God's family. Now on to rulers and authorities. These aren't just earthly figures, but spiritual foes, real enemies. And Paul reminds us that through Christ, these malevolent forces are disarmed. They may try to attack, but they've already been defeated. And as believers, we can rely on the power of Christ to ensure our victory over these forces. So there you have it. A really short dive into Colossians 2, 6 through 15, where Paul masterfully weaves together faith, works, gratitude, and victory. I think it's a powerful reminder for our growth in Christ that it's ongoing and our connection to him is unwavering and our salvation is secured through his incredible sacrifice. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of The Daily Grind. Please take a minute to rate the podcast if you like it. Please reach out to me. If there's things that you'd like to see more of, things you'd like to see less of, or just to ask questions or give suggestions. Again, I am honored to have you have spent time with me today on this podcast, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll see you tomorrow on The Daily Grind.